Welcome everybody to TNC number 171, the Neutral Corner episode number 171 for the week of Saturday, May 18th. I am your host, Michael Montero for Boxing Monthly Magazine and BoxingMonthly.com. And uh, we had a rough start there a second ago with uh, some tech issues, but now we are good to go. And uh, I appreciate you guys for bearing with us. Real quick, gonna mention it again, uh, your fee for this week. You guys know I don't give a monetary fee. I charge a fee, non-monetary, for every episode. This week, I'd like you guys to go over to Spotify, search for Michael Montero, or search for The Neutral Corner. Find us, there's a little heart on the screen. Click that heart, that's how you follow us on Spotify, okay? Let's get the Spotify thing happening. So, uh, a lot of news to go over, some sad news. Let's get the sad stuff out of the way, man. We had two deaths last week in the sport of boxing, two big deaths from cancer, the big C. Uh, former fighter, Burt Cooper, heavyweight fighter, uh, who fought everybody in his era, just about everybody. He fought Bo, Foreman, Holyfield, Mercer, Moore, had some success in some of those fights. He was always competitive, but always fell just short of, of championship, you know, that level. Uh, but uh, cancer took him last week. I believe he was 53. I know he was in his 50s. I can't remember the exact age, but I think 53. And then Harold Letterman, who is, I mean, pound for pound, probably the biggest boxing fan ever. But of course, you guys remember from remember him from uh, HBO. He was, hey, Jim, you know, okay, Jim, when he'd always, you know, do his scores and everything. Happy dude, was just always happy, always had a smile. He died last week, I believe he was 79, just uh, just under 80, also from cancer. So uh, really, really sad news, man. You know, it's always sad and it just feels more and more, we've had more and more of these the last couple of years and there's kind of this, I don't know, I don't I wanna say new era, just a new generation of, of boxing. Like that last, that previous generation is moving on. And it was just, you know, wow, a, a year after HBO, left the sport of boxing one of the most iconic people associated with hbo boxing left us so i think that um yeah survive says i'll miss harold's voice i agree I, he just had one of those voices that was just synonymous with boxing right I, I feel like i grew up hearing the guy's voice so anyway uh rest in peace to both of those men all right let's get on to more positive happy news shall we so uh july 20th manny pacquiao and Keith one-time Thurman, which this will be the second time he's fought this year. So, wow, believe that for Keith Thurman. He's actually fighting more than once in a year. This will be on Fox pay-per-view, probably in Las Vegas, probably at the MGM, but the, the venue's not set just yet. So, uh, look, they've talked about this fight for a while, and it finally came through. Uh, you can see what the PBC is trying to do here. You had Errol Spence with Mikey Garcia that kind of built up Errol Spence's brand a little bit, tested the waters at pay-per-view. Now they're going to use Manny Pacquiao's much, much larger brand than, than uh, Mikey Garcia. Use his brand to build up Keith Thurman, test the waters on pay-per-view. And then eventually, probably next year, we're going to get Spence Thurman. I say that, and I guess I, I played my card here. I showed my hand, I should say. Uh, I think Thurman's going to win this fight. Manny Pacquiao is a very live dog, and I actually think he's a betting favorite right now, which does surprise me to a degree. I know that Thurman didn't look great in his last fight. I know he's halfway mentally checked out of the sport. I understand all that, but 
he had a lot of ring rust and he was coming off an injury in that last fight. And I think uh, surgery, right? There was a recovery period there. So I think he's going to look a lot sharper in this fight with Pacquiao. He's still a hell of a lot younger and fresher. And the politics of the thing, guys, it's in Vegas. PBC bought Manny Pacquiao to use his name to build people up. It's, it's not rocket science. It, all promoters do this sort of thing. But it's obvious what they want to do with them. And down the line, they want Spence Thurman. Now, Spence Pacquiao, remember when Pacquiao got up in the ring after uh, the Mikey Garcia fight? And he said, yeah, sure, let's do Spence Pacquiao. What the hell, right? And remember how the internet cringed and everybody on social media, on Twitter and everything else cringed at the thought of that because of how people basically thought Pac was going to get bludgeoned to death by Spence? Well, PBC folks, they saw that. They remember that. I'm just saying they're banking and betting on Thurman beating Pacquiao so that they can get a Spence Pac or a Spence Thurman fight. Spence Pacquiao would be good too. It'd be a decent consolation prize. And if, if Pacquiao actually beats Thurman, it'd make the fight with Spence more marketable. But all things considered, that's just what I see happening. Of course, we'll see you know how it all plays out. But uh, there's a a regular Fox card that I think is going to lead into that Fox pay-per-view. And Caleb Plant is going to defend his title, his first defense of the title, voluntary defense, against Mike Lee. So Caleb Plant should win that fight. Mike Lee is finally getting the cash out. Uh, you know, at some point, he was going to go for a title and get beat, and it's going to be in this fight. Uh, let's see. WBC wants Tyson Fury to face Dillian White to determine a mandatory for Deontay Wilder. Problem is, Fury already fought Wilder to a draw, right? So he's at least on equal terms with Wilder. And in terms of rounds, he won more rounds in that fight. And Dillian White's been the mandatory for like 612 years already by the WBC. They already passed him over for Dominic Brazil, which makes no damn sense. Other than Al Heyman slipped some ducats under the table because that's the fight he preferred. Keep it all in-house. But man, Dillian White is getting the shaft on this thing over and over. What the hell does Dillian White have on Mauricio Suleiman for him to keep butt-fucking him like this over and over with no lube? I just don't get it. Uh, but Tyson Fury, by the way, agrees with me. In a recent interview, he said, man, they're really screwing Dillian White here. This dude's been the mandatory for 807 years. What's the problem? But I, I highly doubt we see Tyson Fury and Dillian White. If we do see it, I, 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 you know, I'd welcome it. But I highly doubt we see that fight. I think Fury's going to go his own way with the ESPN deal. Okay, um, Usyk Takam. Obviously, it's delayed. You guys know that by now. Usyk, you know, pulled a, a injured his bicep. So that fight's going to happen later in the year, maybe August, September, something like that. But that May 25 card on the zone is still going forward. It now features Devin Haney and Michael Hunter. So that's still going to be a good quality card. They were thinking about moving it to Vegas. I think it's staying in the D.C. area, though. Uh, big fight being signed. Uh, big fight for... Uh, heavyweight prospects are concerned. Daniel Dubois, 11 0, 21 years old, 6 foot 5, going up against Nathan Gorman, 16 0, 22 years old, although he looks 42. He's kind of got that horseshoe haircut thing going on already. He's only 22. And he's 6 foot 4. They're fighting July 13th at the O2 in London. Joe Joyce is also uh, tentatively scheduled to be on that card. Should he be successful this weekend? He has a fight this weekend. We'll talk more about that in a second. But uh, according to Gorman, who has who 
I think had a, probably a better amateur career, more experience anyway as an amateur, because Dubois had a very limited amateur career. But he says that uh, him and Dubois sparred hundreds of rounds together, and he got the better of it for the most part. So we'll see what happens. I, you know, I think that's an important fight between heavyweight prospects, putting their O on the line. I love that. I love that Joyce will be on the undercard. Should uh, Joyce continue winning, maybe he fights the winner of that fight. How awesome would that be? And uh, some crazy news out of Argentina. Carlos Baldomir, remember him? That was the guy who beat uh, Zab Judah by major upset, major upset to beat Zab Judah and briefly held a welterweight title and then cashed out against Floyd Mayweather, who used Carlos Baldomir to duck Antonio Margarito, shamelessly. Uh, Baldomir accused of sexually abusing his eight-year-old daughter and is facing 20 years in jail. So that sounds awesome. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's ooh, I don't know what to say about that. I'm just going to leave that alone. But uh, apparently that dude has already served like 300 days in jail or something. And now he's going to trial and he could face 20 years. His own freaking daughter. Okay, let's get to some questions before we get into the review. Are they here? Or? All right, let me check out some of your questions, guys. Um, Jack Altrazan, what's up, Jack? Thanks for uh, tuning in, bro. Uh, prime for prime, Gennady Golovkin versus Jarrett Hurd at 160. I like Golovkin big, big, big in that fight. Uh, you saw what Julian J. Rock Williams did to him, just basically based off fundamentals and toughness. What do you think Gennady Golovkin would do to him? He's fundamentally sound as J. Rock, not as fast, not as athletic, but uh, stronger and hits much harder. And uh, yeah, I think he'd actually probably stop Jarrett Hurd. Uh, Jack Alter also asked if Triple G and Canelo happened in April 2016, like it should have, who wins and how? Well, I, I think that's pretty obvious. Uh, I think it goes to distance, but Golovkin wins a pretty wide decision and actually gets the decision because he probably would have won nine or 10 rounds and probably would have got, you know, 115, 113 on the scorecards. One judge may have had it a draw or something, but he would have beat pretty soundly defeated Canelo at that point. Canelo was not ready. As I've mentioned in other videos, Canelo and Golden Boy, they learned from that Mayweather fight about plucking someone before they're ready, someone taking a challenge before they're ready, and they waited on Golovkin. That's pretty obvious. Jacob Roberts, what's up, man? He asked, uh, were you ever a fan of Prince Nassim Hamed? He seems to divide fans' opinion. You know, I was a fan of his in the sense that he brought a lot of attention here in America to the lower weight classes because of his personality. Um, I kind of saw through the smoke and mirrors, though. A lot of people, especially in the UK, I think overrate Hamed. He was a very dynamic fighter, exciting fighter, very, very good. But I, I told everybody that would listen. I was young when he fought uh, Marco Antonio Barrera. I was still a young guy. And I told all my friends, everyone that would listen, Barrera is going to beat the brakes off this dude. Barrera is actually a Hall of Fame level fighter. Hamed is not. He's just not that kind of level of fighter. And uh, you saw what happened, right? Now, Barrera is, you know, more all-time great on that level, even more than Hall of Fame. Hamed, you know, probably uh, is rates, you know, Hall of Fame and everything. But I can't remember if he's in yet or not. But, um, you know, just for bringing attention to the smaller weight classes, yeah, I was a fan of Hamed. Uh, Petra Thomas... Will should Thurman get 100% credit for beating Pacquiao at this point? I guess it depends how he does it. 
I see another close decision that I probably will feel Thurman won 115, 113, 116, 112. But you guys know the way Twitter works and the internet works now. If it's anywhere closer than 10 rounds to two, there are going to be people bitching on Twitter that it's a robbery. And there's going to be plenty of the pack. Some of the Pacquiao fans are nuts. I said some, not most, not even many, some. I say that because I've dealt with some of them that have, you know, ripped off my head and shit down my throat because I dared to say Floyd Mayweather clearly beat Pacquiao and all those videos out there to try to selectively edit that fight to make it look like Pacquiao won. He didn't. Mayweather beat him. And some of the Pacquiao fans are still, you know, go nuts when you say that. So I think you're going to see the same thing here. I think Thurman's going to win. If he barely scrapes by an old Pacquiao uh, that really hasn't been a prime fighter since about 2010, 2011, uh, then, you know, he should get some criticism. But even if he routes Pacquiao and shuts him out, there will be people on the internet saying he lost the fight and criticizing. It's just the way shit goes. LC says or asks, uh, how good, maybe even great, do you think Nayoya Inoue could be? You know what? We'll talk about that later in this episode. But um, we're going to find we're going to get some answers to some questions about him, I think, this week. I think his opponent this week that he's facing in Glasgow, Scotland, is the best opponent of his career. And we're going to find out because he, you know, he's looked great. He's looked really, really great. He still hasn't fought an elite level fighter yet. And I don't know if I'd put Rodriguez at the elite level, but he's certainly uh, a level. He's certainly a very, very good fighter with a good amateur pedigree. We'll talk about that. But if, if Inouye blows through him and then goes to the finale and blows through who will be his most experienced opponent in Nonito Donaire, I mean, this dude, who knows, man? Sky could be the limit. But so far, he passes the freaking eye test. We just don't know. Number one, uh, can he take a big shot? Because he hasn't yet. And number two, uh, can he make adjustments in a fight where he can't just drill a dude and knock him out or really affect the fight with his power? Can he make adjustments and play chess in there? He hasn't been forced to do either of those two things. And until we get the answers to those questions, we won't know how great he can be. But potential is definitely, definitely there. Okay, guys, uh, let's review what happened last week. We had a lot of action, all right? Um, keep the questions coming. I'll keep getting to them. Friday, May 10th, there was a couple of cards. And uh, there was a Showbox card. Ruben Villa, featherweight prospect. Michael Dutchover, lightweight prospect. And Saul Sanchez, bantamweight prospect. All got Ws on that Showbox card. And then there was a card over in the UK where we had an upset special. To me, this was the biggest upset of the weekend. Uh, Enrique Tinoco out of Mexico came in a little heavy, didn't quite make weight. But uh, they found, they came to an agreement, uh, fought Jordan Gill. And Jordan Gill has looked really good lately. Undefeated prospect, has drilled some dudes, had some really spectacular knockouts, looked really, really good. He got beat up in this fight. He was knocked down three times. Uh, his corner stopped it, I think, after the eighth round. Tinoco's a durable guy. Tough guy who goes rounds. He went the distance against Devin Haney, who's a blue chip prospect, and Mario Barrios who's a blue chip prospect. So this dude, I think, was brought in against Gill to give him rounds. He's a, he's, a, he's a guy who's tough, he's durable, he can go rounds. 
but he was working Gill's body. Dropped him three times, the third, fifth, and eighth, all from body shots. All body shots dropped him. Also on that same card, Lee Wood defended his Commonwealth featherweight title. So Saturday, May 11th, at the Convention Center in Tucson, Arizona, it was top rank on ESPN. We had two exciting offensive kind of fights, but they were kind of predictable in my opinion. And both fights pretty much went the way I thought they would, the way I told you guys they'd go in the preview. Uh, and the co-main, Emmanuel Navarrete, uh, won by TKO 12 over Isaac Dogbay, first defense of the WBO Super Bantamweight title. He took off Dogbay in the uh, first fight. This fight should have been stopped sooner. The corner should have came in and stopped the damn fight way before the 12th. Uh, Dogbay was just taking an absolute beating, all five foot two of them from a five foot seven, much younger guy, much longer, rangier, heavier, uh, just stronger, beating the shit out of him. Dogbay has taken now 24 rounds, 23 and a half rounds, if you will, of unnecessary punishment in his last two fights. And his corner really, really failed him. He is never, mark my words, never going to be the same after this at all. And so he said after this fight that he's been having trouble, even though he's a short little dude, he's only five foot two. He's been having trouble making 122. He says he wants to move up to 126. If he fights second, third tier opponents at 126, okay. But if he fights anyone near the top 10 at 126, he is going to get pulverized. I just, I feel bad for the dude. I hope that he's done well with his money and him and his team need to have a serious talk. Go up to 126, fight a guy in the top 25. See how that goes. And then go from there. But uh, nobody in the top 10. That's going to be ugly. In the main event, Miguel Burchelt scores a six-round retirement stoppage over Francisco Vargas. This is the fifth defense of his WBC 130-pound title. So uh, Yoel Diaz was training Francisco Vargas, Mandito, and uh, he stopped the fight after the sixth round. He basically did what Dog Bay's corner should have done in the co-main. So props, slow clap for Yoel Diaz because that's what trainers, that's what cornermen should do. They should save a brave warrior like Francisco Vargas from himself. Because Francisco Vargas would have went to distance with Burchelt. He would have stayed in there until he got either knocked unconscious or they heard the final bell. And every single round past like the second, third round was completely one-sided in this fight. Like I told you guys, I thought it might be. And, um, you know, sometimes my picks are wrong, but this weekend was a pretty good weekend, right? But anyway, uh, Vargas would have stayed in there and every round, it was just more and more punishment, taking more days, weeks, maybe months, maybe years off the man's life. So good thing by Diaz stopping that fight. It did go a little longer than I thought it would. I thought this thing might go four or five rounds. It went a round or two more than I expected. Through six rounds, these two guys threw 1,200 punches. They landed a combined 436 punches. They basically did what Canelo and Jacobs did not do. They let it fly. They just let it fly, man. So it was entertaining, albeit one-sided, and so predictable. We knew the outcome. For me, I got to be honest, guys. I wasn't that much into the ESPN card last weekend. I was much more into the PBC on Fox card at Eagle Bank Arena in Fairfax, Virginia. Uh, Julian Williams, main event, scores 
I'm calling it a minor upset. There are other people out there saying this was a major upset, but it wasn't. Those of us, again, who understand styles and how styles make fights and have followed Julian J. Rock Williams' career and followed Jarrett Hurd's career really felt that, yes, Hurd should have been the favorite. He should have been the favorite for several reasons. But Williams was a very live dog and had a very good chance to win this fight. So officially, I picked Hurd by decision. I thought that it would go the distance. And I thought that a lot of the close rounds, Hurd would get the benefit of the doubt and he would win a close decision. However, uh, man, Williams performed even better than I thought he was going to. He, quite frankly, because I've watched it a second time now, from about the fourth, fifth round on, he dominated this fight. You know, watching it live, I scored it 116-111 um, because remember, there was a knockdown in the second round. So I scored it eight rounds to four plus the knockdown, watching it live. Watching it again, it was more like nine rounds to three. I mean, again, when I was scoring it, I was factoring in, I think, uh, just the local judges there, the, the uh, inexperienced commission there, and figuring that Hurd would get the benefit of the doubt in a couple of those swing rounds. And I was right. He did. So I was right on that call. But, uh, man, Williams clearly won eight, nine rounds of this fight and uh, just thoroughly beat Hurd in every aspect of the fight. He really, really did, man. Uh, now he has the WBA, IBF, junior middleweight titles. So the scores are 115-112, twice, 116-111, which is, again, what I had. There is a rematch clause, and Hurd has stated that he wants to do it again. Now, you guys, hopefully you guys have watched my immediate reaction, even though it wasn't immediate. It was like 10, 12 hours later. But I posted a reaction video, I think Sunday morning, if you haven't watched that yet, go check it out. But um, I talked about this fight. And, you know, I, I thought that just seeing how Hurd looked, man, he's getting to that point. It's the same thing I see with um, with uh, Jaime Munguia, where these guys kill themselves to make a really unnatural weight. And it starts to have an effect on your, your fighting. And ultimately, that's going to affect your, your the longevity of your career. I think it's time for Hurd to move up. But it sounds like he, he wants the rematch. So get down to 154 one more time. Do the rematch. For the record, I think Williams beats him again. As long as Williams stays focused and doesn't let this, these titles get to his head, he stays focused and hungry and fights the same way. If he fights the same way he did in the first fight, he'll beat Hurd again and he'll probably beat him even more clearly. And hopefully PBC does the right thing and puts that fight on in Philly. Williams is from Philadelphia. Philly, uh, you know, has had a little resurgence recently with some with some um, uh, fight cards. And it'd be nice to have a, a championship fight there. I think that that would be a good rematch. They better not take this shit to Vegas like they did with uh, Charlo Harrison, too. I, I, I didn't like that. Hopefully they take this to Philly. Anyway, let's talk about the co-main. Matt Vey Korobov and Emmanuel Alim fight to a majority draw. This fight was not a draw. And I tweeted about this during the fight. Just, and I tweeted about it a little bit more today because I looked at the judges. So Judge Doroth Dorothea Perry out of New York, she scored the fight correctly. I'm assuming this is a woman. Dorothea? 97-93. Uh, seven rounds to three for Korobov, which is pretty much the fight most people saw. Korobov won the first seven rounds and Aleem won the last three. 
That's what most people saw. Perhaps you give the sixth round to, uh, to Aleem and you had it 6-4. I can live with that. But I thought it was 7-3. I scored it 97-93 live. But the two Virginia judges, remember, this was in Fairfax, Virginia, which is not a very experienced commission, not a very busy commission. They don't have a lot of fights there. So these judges clearly were affected by, they did two things wrong. But let me tell you, let me first tell you their names. Brian Costello and Mark Dattilio both scored at 95-95. Now, I think they did two things wrong. Number one, they let the crowd noise influence their scoring. And a lot of fans who saw a complete domination by Korobov the first four rounds or so, when Aleem started to actually have some moments in the fifth, sixth round, maybe even as early as the fourth round, the crowd got more into it because they're like, oh shit, now we got it, now it's competitive. There's a little bit of two-way action. So there's more cheers, right? Crowd was dead the first three or four rounds. All of a sudden they start getting louder in the middle rounds. Judges hear that, they're influenced by the crowd noise. They score around for Aleem, he really didn't win. Second thing they were doing is what I call grading on a curve. And basically that is, Aleem was so thoroughly beat in the first few rounds that in the fourth, fifth round, he wasn't beat as badly in those rounds. He did a little bit better. I remember watching the fight live. I remember specifically in the fifth round saying, wow, Aleem's having a better round here. He's having a better round. I said that out loud as I was, I remember saying that out loud as I was watching it. But Korobov still won the damn round. Aleem had a better round. It was closer. It was more competitive, but Korobov still won it. Clearly, these Virginia judges saw him having a better round and they graded on a curve and that was enough for them to give Aleem a round he did not win. And too many inexperienced, inept judges do this in too many fights. And also uh, the, the ringside scoring. Some of the quote unquote media guys that score fights do the same damn thing. And by the way, Dan Raphael, who I defend a lot. A lot of people bash the shit out of the guy. It, it's not hard to. There's a lot of things you can bash about the guy. I've only met him twice, really. I've, I've spent maybe five minutes of my life total ever talking to the man. But uh, I, I, I defend the guy. I stick up for him because he's worked in boxing for, I don't know, 20 plus years. He, you know, so I respect him for that. But holy shit, he scored that main event for, uh, for uh, Jarrett Hurd. He scored, I think he scored at 114-113 for Hurd, which means he scored at seven rounds to five for Hurd. That is such a terrible score. That is so unbelievably terrible. And I believe that Raphael lives in that area, I think in Virginia or somewhere around there. So maybe he was going for the hometown guy. I don't know if he was there live. I, I assume he was covering it live. And perhaps uh, the crowd affected him. I, I don't know. That's such a bad score. And the way it was reported with ESPN is they, I saw an article somewhere, or one of you guys retweeted it, where it said something to the effect of um, ESPN scored it 114-113 for Heard. That's literally the way they, they put it. And I'm thinking to myself, no, the hell ESPN didn't. I know plenty of people that contribute to ESPN who had it like everyone else, who had it wide J-Rock, including my good friend Steve Kim. My brother Steve had it, I think, nine rounds to three for J-Rock. So there are plenty of people at ESPN 
who had the fight score correctly. But because Dan Raphael is considered the senior quote-unquote writer at ESPN, there were articles saying ESPN scored it for Heard 114-113, which is bullshit. And by the way, you know, I, I don't want to bash too many people here scoring fights. We, we've all had we've all had off nights, but Jesus Christ, some of these scores are so bad. Mike Coppinger had has had a couple of bad ones recently too, and he's considered one of the senior writers at Ring. So sometimes you'll see uh, reports in Ring where it will say Ring Magazine or Ring TV scored it yada 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 because that's his score. The thing is, there are dozens of contributors to ESPN, to Ring, to Boxing Scene, all these different platforms. So you guys, you know, don't just take one person's word for it. You know, look at the collective of the scores. Look at how the majority of people are seeing it. But uh, yeah, Dan Raphael, man, that that's just, that's a really bad score from a very experienced guy. You know, I just mentioned Mike Coppinger. He's not that experienced with boxing in comparison to Raphael. So I hold Raphael a little more accountable. I give Coppinger a little more of a break. He's still learning the sport of boxing, right? He doesn't come from a boxing background. Not that Raphael does, but Raphael has, um, has, has written, I think he, he wrote for uh, USA Today, I think. Don't quote me on that. And then switched over to ESPN. So I think he's been writing for over 20 years. He's seen enough fights. He should know how to score a damn fight. He should understand. So I, that was just really, really bad. And, and I usually don't do this, but I took him to task on Twitter. Those of you who follow me on Twitter, you saw my response to him. And I wasn't saying it to be a dick. I basically, I don't remember exactly what I said, but I was respectful and professional. But I, I probably, I just said, hey man, you need to watch this fight again. That's because Williams won. I said something like that. I didn't expect it to, for it to have like over 200 likes. <laughs> like a lot of you guys saw that. There was people retweeting it, liking it, posting it on forums. I saw it on a Facebook boxing group. It's like, holy shit, I didn't expect that. But uh, yeah, dude, wow, bad score. Okay, also on this card, Mario Barrios scored a KO2 win over Juan Jose Velasco, the same guy that took Regis Progre eight rounds, was TKO'd in eight rounds in New Orleans in his last fight. So he was coming off a TKO loss, got KO'd here by Barrios. So Barrios got him out of there in quicker fashion than Regis Progre, but does that mean I rate him higher than Progre? No, of course not. Those, you know, fight math doesn't add up. What do they call it? Fight math or, you know, we talk about these A plus B doesn't equal C in boxing, yeah. So uh, anyway, Barrios, still blue chip prospect, man. 24-0, 16 knockouts, only 23 years old. I think he's out of San Antonio, Texas. Another guy out of Texas. I keep telling you guys, that's a growing boxing market. Fights anywhere around 140, 147. There are so many prospects right now coming up in that 140, 147 uh, weight span. I just interviewed Virgil Ortiz uh, Friday. And um, I'm putting together an article uh, for Ring Magazine on him. He's another guy right, right there, 21 years old. Man, 140 to like 154 over the next few years, dude, we're, we're good. We're, I mean, it, it's stacked, guys. I'm, I, I don't want to say golden era quite yet, but it is stacked with talent. If these guys start fighting each other, holy shit, it's going to be fun. Also, earlier today in Japan... Moriyoti 
methylene, I, I know I'm probably destroying, I always destroy his name, one unanimous decision over Masayuki Kuroda. The Japanese names are so much easier. Uh, second defense of his IBF flyweight title. Scores were 116-112 twice and 117-111. Okay, that is it for the review. Let's get to some questions. Let's see here. All right, let me scroll up. Let me scroll up. Uh, Robert Palmer's on. What's up, Robert? Appreciate you uh, tuning in, brother. Uh, he asked, what did I think of J-Rock's very specific praise of Uncle Al? You know, look, man, uh, J-Rock did have a really shitty deal with Gary Shaw. And um, Al Heyman, one thing that he does do, is particularly with his favorites, he doesn't do it with all of his fighters, but his favorites, is he takes care of them financially under the table. When J-Rock lost to Charlo, he kind of went under the radar. I, I talked about this a little bit in my reaction video. But uh, there, you know, when he first signed with Heyman, Heyman saw how how shitty he was done by Gary Shaw, and uh, Heyman gave him some money under the table to set him up. And J Rock has been very, very smart with his money. He's invested well uh, in real estate and things like that. And I mean, he was comfortable and I don't want to say set for life, but set up very well before winning these titles. Now he's going to really start making some damn money. Now it's going to be seven figures time, right? So, um, yeah, I completely understand why he'd pra praise Uncle Al like that. And you look, more power to him. You know what I'm saying? Um, he's very happy right now. Things have panned out for him. Things have worked out. Didn't work out up front. I mean, he kind of was the victim of some political stuff with the whole Charlo situation that I won't get into. But um, you know what? I could say this much. Uh, I, I wasn't going to talk about this, but... Uh, Steve Kim actually tweeted about it last night, so I guess it's okay. Look, when Charlo got knocked, when Charlo knocked out J-Rock, you know, I was covering that fight. I was hanging with Steve, uh, with Tiffany. We were there, and we ended up going to, uh, to J-Rock's hotel room later that night, hanging out with him, Stephen Breadman Edwards, some other folks. I won't mention their names uh, just because I don't know if they'd want that information made public, but other uh, high-ranking boxing people, if you will. And um, just being in that room, talking to them, um, uh, be, being privy to some information that I can't really put on the record, but that really, really changed my opinion on some things uh, and on what I had seen in the ring earlier that night and some of the business, some of the things going on. Um, I just, you know, I learned a lot about those guys. And I can tell you right now, J-Rock and his family are wonderful people. Uh, Stephen Bredman Edwards, wonderful guy brilliant boxing mind, boxing historian. I was talking with him about some of the old school Italian fighters. We were talking about how, um, you know, Italian fighters back in the day fought everybody. They didn't uh, do the color line thing like uh, the Anglo-Irish boxers of, of that day did uh, because more or less because they were forced to um, fight everybody. They were basically the Mexicans of that era. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty much the reality of it. Uh, we were talking about, all, you know, stuff like that. And, um, so, uh, yeah, man, I, what I saw that night is that even though they had a really shitty night, things did not go their way, they were still every bit as confident that they would eventually get another shot. And what they learned that night is to ask in any title situation, in any big fight against any top-tier fighter, do VADA testing. There were folks in the room related to serious drug testing and how all that works. Again, I don't want to mention everyone's names, but um, 
that we were talking about that all night. And um, I just saw right there, I'm like, this dude's going to get back in a world title shot and he's going he's gonna to look really good. And just their, their focus and their belief, their faith never wavered. Anyway, sorry for the tangent there, guys. Uh, Gailey86, James Gale asks, Mike, shouldn't Triple G be ranked above Canelo in the pound for pound, given that he beat him the first time and it was close the second time? You could make an argument for that. Um, but you can also make an argument that if you go with the official decisions and you look at the trajectory of both careers and where they're at and you look at the overall resume of who they've both fought and the way all those official decisions went, you can make a case that Canelo rates higher. Look, right now, you put a gun to my head, you ask me who wins the third fight. Legitimately, I'm not talking about Vegas bullshit. I'm talking legitimately. I favor Canelo. Doesn't mean I don't think Golovkin can't win it. And obviously, if he did win it, he'd go back above Canelo. For the record, I never had Golovkin rated number one pound for pound. Several platforms did, and I just never thought Triple G had done enough to be number one. I have in the top three or so, maybe two or three, but he was never pound for pound number one. And neither is Canelo right now because of what you said. All those fights for Canelo were too damn close. Canelo's certainly in the top five, though. Triple G, maybe five or six. Hashtag Joshua Wilder asks, what do I think about Dog Bay wanting to move up? I already talked about that. I think it's a horrible idea, and I think he needs to think about retiring soon. Joey Dubik said, asked, did I know Harold Letterman? Uh, personally, no. I had never really... You know, I had had chances to talk to him, but every time... Um, the, the guys that just take a camera and stick it in Harold's face and yap at him, that would start happening. He'd hang out about press events and stuff like that. And I, I just, I don't like talking to guys in those types of situations. And it had just never come up that I was out hanging out with some media guys. Because a lot of times after a fight, uh, you know, I've gone out with all, all sorts of media guys. I've gone out with fighters, their teams, you know, just because you, you know, you're hanging out, not, not, not in an unprofessional way, the fight's over and everything. I've hung out with commission folks, referees, all, judges, everybody. Just, you know, sometimes you go out and you have a meal or something after the fight. It just never came up that I got to go out and do anything with Harold. He's been sick, man. He's been sick recently as I've built myself up more in the business the last few years. So he kept that shit real quiet. But I'll tell you, man, anytime that dude came in a room, Oh my God, the, the immediate reaction was the room just got brighter. Every, the mood got lifted. He was just one of those guys who, who had that power in him. Um, just a special, special dude. And I didn't even need to get to know him personally to be able to see that. You know, I had seen him, hey Harold, you know, just like two seconds, that kind of a thing. I did not need to really spend any time with him one-on-one -on -one to understand what a powerful impact he had on people. Yoke Pushin ask thoughts on pbc meltdown of milked fights lately i'm not quite sure what that question means milked pbc meltdown of milked fights you're gonna have to you're gonna have to reword that bro i'm not quite sure what you're asking nurkan Akteyev, respect your boxing knowledge bro i appreciate that man uh hopefully i didn't butcher your name too bad thank you for watching i appreciate it he asks, if Canelo beats Callum Smith, will he be number one pound for pound on your list? That's a good question. If, um, 
if they were to fight Callum Smith next, and he were to beat Callum Smith, who is a big, undefeated, fairly proven super middleweight, I would consider it. It'd be the manner in which he beat him. But look, he travels to the UK and he stops Callum Smith. Yeah, that might rate pound for pound number one consideration. They fight in Vegas and he ekes out another debatable decision and a lackluster fight like the Canelo Jacobs thing. Let me be clear. He clearly beat Jacobs. I'm talking about lackluster action of the Jacobs fight. I'm talking debatable decision like the Golovkin fights, the Lara fight, etc. If it's something like that, no. Chris S. asks, do you think Spence's lifestyle outside the ring will make his run short? Every time I see him out, he seems drunk. Chris, there's certain things that I'm not comfortable saying on the record. Um, I was in Dallas for several days covering his fight with Mikey Garcia. I talked to a lot of people in that area. A lot of people that go out to bars. A lot of people in the boxing community there. Uh, I did a little reconnaissance. Uh, all I'm going to say is, yeah, Spence's run isn't going to be very long. DS Kennels 210. As prime for prime, Loma versus Iron Mike Tyson. <laughs> Lomachenko versus Iron Mike Tyson. You know what? Lomachenko by split decision. No, I mean, come on, guys. Jesus Christ. That was pretty good, bro. I wasn't expecting that. You got me there. Rap Life asks, so is it true about Spence always being tipsy? I thought it was just bullshit. Uh, well, you know, I kind of just talked about that. So uh, Brad DW54 asks, Better fight of the year candidate, Roman versus Doheny or Hurd versus Williams. As I mentioned in my uh, my reaction video to Hurd Williams, which I don't think you've watched yet, Brad. Go back and watch that. Um, Hurd versus Williams is the fight of the year right now. I get it. Uh, Do the Doheny fight uh, with Daniel Roman and, and Doheny, uh, very good fight. Certainly a contender. Uh, Mungia Hogan was a contender. And uh, what's the other one? Uh, Lipinets Peterson, certainly a contender, right? But more on the line between Hurd and Williams. And um, I just thought you got an upset. You had some great two-way action. It was competitive up until the final bell because even though Hurd was losing all those rounds, he was competitive. He was landing punches. He never stopped trying. So you had you know two titles on the line, um, two undefeated guys. Yeah, man. And then you got all that great action and an upset. And both guys were classy as hell after the fight. Let's talk about that. How classy was J-Rock after the fight? How classy was Jarrett Hurd in defeat? We could use more Jarrett Hurds and Julian Williams in boxing. That's what we need more of. Those are the types of guys that little kids should be admiring and look up, and look up to in boxing, in my opinion, over guys like Deontay Wilder and Floyd Mayweather. Jarrett Hurd, Julian J. Rock Williams, those guys should be freaking role models. Sorry for that tangent. But anyway, all that considered, yes, Hurd Williams, fight of the year so far. Look, guys, we're only, we're not even halfway through. We got some good matchups coming, but so far, yes. Anthony Rafter asks, uh, Jacobs versus Andre, who wins? Jacobs, 10 rounds to two. Next. DS Kennels, that tells you what I think about Andre, right? DS Kennels 210, uh, maybe not 10 rounds to two. Jacobs clearly beats him. DS Kennels 210 asks, what do you think of a local kid here, Mario Barrios? 
And why would anyone want Virgil Hunter in their corner? Dude looks absolutely dis disinterested in the sport from working corners and calling fights for PBC. Yeah, I don't know why Barrios... Uh, I, I like Mario Barrios. Blue chip prospect all the way. Uh, as far as Virgil Hunter, he's a one-trick pony in my opinion. Andre Ward. And Andre Ward, sometimes you hear you know a fighter making a trainer... Andre Ward made Virgil Hunter. Take any other fighter that he's worked with and show me where he's made improvements and taken them from a prospect to contender, a contender to champion, or a former champion to a second-time champion. Um, yeah, Andre Ward, Kevin Frey just said, yeah, Andre Ward, Ward made Virgil Hill. Uh, Andre Ward, special fighter, special fighter. That, you know, comes around once a generation, regardless of how you feel about him in some of his antics. Definitely a special fighter, Hall of Famer, right? Future Hall of Famer. So Virgil Hunter, who else has, has he improved? I don't see it. Hamed, 92, what's up, brother? He asked, uh, after what happened to Hurd and Charlo, do you think marinating and boxing should be avoided? And do you see Wilder and Joshua taking losses before they fight in 2020 or 2021? Whenever they finally freaking fight. Uh, you know, it depends, man. Like, Tony Harrison actually had a good tweet this weekend I saw where he said something, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but he said something to the effect of, um, this is like the 90s because there's dudes losing. Everybody at the top of the sport right now has losses and it doesn't matter and these dudes are fighting each other. And he's right. He's absolutely right. So look, Hurd has a loss now. Jermel Charlo has a loss now. As soon as Jamal Charlo steps up and fights an elite middleweight, he's going to lose too because the Charlos are not as good as some of you think they are. But they're still very good. They're still good. And as long as these guys all keep fighting each other, who gives a shit? If Hurd ends up fighting Jamal Charlo at 160, um, if Harrison ends up fighting uh, J-Rock at some point, if J-Rock fights the other Charlo, Jamal, or gets revenge and, and has a, a rematch with Jamal or fights Jamal, those are all good fights. Those are all good matchups. So I think that sometimes getting that L out of the way works, is a good thing. As long as these dudes all keep fighting each other, what I don't want to see happen is someone take a loss and then disappear and, and you know do this four-year rebuilding thing. Nah, man, just keep fighting each other. Losses don't mean shit. Um, I, I, that's another thing. J-Rock, after the fight, had a little speech about that, and I thought it was outstanding. But as far as Wilder and Joshua, unfortunately, I think that they're, there's so much riding on that eventual fight that their teams are going to do everything they can to protect them from that loss. It's possible. Lightning can strike. It's the heavyweight division. But Joshua's fighting a guy who can't punch for shit at the elite level in heavyweight in John Ruiz or Andy Ruiz, John Ruiz, Andy Ruiz. And, um, and Wilder's fighting Brazil, who's very slow, takes a good shot, but doesn't punch very hard and telegraphs punches from three weeks ago. So they're going to be fine. You know what I'm saying? Oh, Frankie's on. What's up, Frankie? I appreciate you watching, brother. Uh, Checkhook93 ask Mike, you've been in the ring before. What's harder to take, a clean left hook to the body or head? Uh, that you don't see, I would say to the head. If you see it coming, to the body. 
because uh, if, if you see it coming, um, for me, taking a left hook to the head, if you can see it, you can get your chin down, you can move into it, you can roll with it. There's different things you could do. You could try to glance it uh, to where, you know, it doesn't hurt that bad. But even if you see one coming to the body that you can't block, that shit's going to hurt. <laughs> if you can't see it coming, uh, a left hook to your head that you don't see right to your chin, yeah, you're going to go down. You know what I'm saying? Um, for the record, I've only been dropped once in sparring. Um, I've been stunned. I have been stunned and the dude laid off. But um, that's happened several times, which should happen if you're just sparring. But I have, I've been dropped once and it was coincidentally off a left hook. That was in the Marine Corps. Gamebred Fight TV, uh, he asked, what, who you got between Tank and Burchelt? Hmm, right now, give me Burchelt. In my opinion, a little more proven, more active, eats, drinks, and sleeps boxing in between fights, stays in better shape in between fights. Uh, I think that Tank has a shitty lifestyle outside the ring that's gonna affect his career. Southpaw, Pro Gray versus Taylor, any thought if made? Well, if Taylor wins this weekend, it is gonna be made, and we'll talk about it then. But I think that is the best freaking matchup of the year. I just do. I, I'm so excited for that fight, man. DS Kennels 210, Canelo versus a prime Tony. Tony decision, uh, you know, look, Tony, as long as he had no trouble making weight at 160, just way too crafty. It would be a pretty fight, though, in spots. A prime Canelo. That would be, that'd be a pretty fight. Jack Alter, Mungia versus Triple G at 160 if it happens in September. Triple G, knockout. Triple G knockout. Okay, time for the preview, and then we'll get to some old Christians. Wednesday, May 15th in Australia, Tim Zhu, Kostya's son, is fighting. He's 12-0 with 10 knockouts, 154-pounder, a little bigger than his dad. And uh, he's always going to be in his dad's shadow, but he's really kind of doing his own thing there, and I, and I love that. At some point, Want him to come to America, start sparring and training here and fighting here a little bit. He's going to limit himself by staying in Australia to, for too long. Thursday, May 16th, there's a Golden Boy card at the Fantasy Springs Casino in Indio, California. That will be broadcast, streamed live on ringtv.com. Friday, May 17th, in Belfast, Northern Ireland, a card picked up by ESPN Plus featuring Ryan Burnett making his comeback from that Donaire loss last year, the, the back injury he had. Also, there's another card on UFC Fight Pass from here in the USA uh, in Connecticut. Saturday, got a lot of action. At the Lamex Stadium over in the UK, uh, Frank Warren, a card, one of his cards on ESPN+. Plus. Billy Joe Saunders, remember him? Yeah, check this out. Somehow, this dude who got busted for performance-enhancing drugs, right, failed a drug test, got suspended, has done dick since he beat uh, David Lemieux in December of 2017. So basically for a year and a half, he's done dick. Fighting a German Serb with a dog shit resume named Shafat Usufi. He had Billy Joe Sanders, one fight in 2018. I talked about the failed drug test. Zero fights at super middleweight, zero. Yet somehow... This fight is for an interim WBO super middleweight title. The current super middleweight titleist for the WBO is Gilberto Ramirez. Now, Gilberto Ramirez is promoted by Bob Arum. Billy Joe Saunders promoted by Frank Warren. 
Grandpa Bob and Frank, they're old pals. They have a deal working together on ESPN. Y you think they might have slipped some ducats to the WBO folks to get this done? So we're going to get Gilberto Ramirez versus Billy Joe Saunders later this year, ladies and gentlemen. Should be fun. Joe Joyce is on this card uh, going up against TBA. So he's going to fight a pizza boy. Oh, no. What am I saying? He's not up against TBA. It's TBA for July 13th. He's going up against Alexander Ustinov this weekend. The seven, the six foot seven statue. Joe Joyce himself is a six foot six statue. So this will be a battle of very slow moving statues. But it should be fun. SSE Hydro in Glasgow, Scotland, World Boxing Super Series, Season 2 on the zone. Ivan Baranchek, 19-0, 12 knockouts. Uh, born in Russia. He's Belarusian though. Lives in the United States now, trains here. 5'8", 67-inch reach, going up against Josh Taylor. 14-0, 12 knockouts, 5'10", 69-inch reach. This is for the IBF Junior Welterweight title. This, man, we've been talking about this fight for a while, right? Because Baranchek pulled out of the tournament, then he was back in, then he was out, then he was in, right? So, on the surface, this should be the most competitive fight Josh Taylor's ever had. This should be a very tough fight for him. I favor him, but should be the toughest fight of his career. However, what I don't know is how focused and in shape Baranchek is because of all the things that were going on outside the ring. I don't know. So uh, still, assuming Baranchek is 100% and there's been no issues and he's totally focused, this is like a almost a pick'em fight but I'm taking Taylor to win by decision. <clears throat> and he will go to the, to the finale of the World Boxing Super Series. Also on this card, Emmanuel Rodriguez, the Puerto Rican, 19-0, 12 knockouts, 5'6", 66-inch reach, 171-11 as an amateur. Going up against the monster, Naoya Inoue. 17-0, 15 knockouts, 5'5", 67-inch reach. This is for the IBF Bantamweight title. In a way, two straight first-round knockouts. So literally in all of 2018, he fought not even two full rounds. Think about that. Rodriguez fought 24 rounds in 2018. Also, you look at that amateur pedigree. All things considered, Emmanuel Rodriguez is probably the best overall opponent that Naoya Inoue has ever fought. And a lot of people think, Inoue is just going to plow through this dude. If he does, I'll be sincerely impressed. But I don't think he's going to. I think he's going to get tested in this fight. The question is, can Rodriguez take the power? Can he take the power? If Emmanuel Rodriguez can take the power from the monster, he's got a real chance in this fight. I still favor the monster big. Let me be clear about that. I'm just saying this thing is going to be more competitive than I think a lot of people think. And here in the U.S. of A, Barclays Center, Brooklyn, another card on Showtime from Tom Brown uh, Promotions, TGB Promotions. Deontay Wilder fighting Dominic Brazil in the main event. Also on this card, Gary Russell Jr. fighting Kiko Martinez. And two of Gary Russell Jr.'s brothers will be on the undercard. Uh, Russell fought once in 2015, once in 2016, 2017, and 2018. Four fights in four years. He is a waste of um, an amazing talent, a waste of a career. 
Kiko is only 33 years old, Kiko Martinez, but a very, very old 33. And this is set up for Gary Russell to get his annual highlight reel knockout where he can look awesome, flashy. They can post videos of it all over social media. And then he can go back into hibernation until 2020. Main event, Deontay Wilder, Dominic Brazil. Of course, these two have a bit of a feud because uh, of that melee that took place in the, uh, man, what hotel was that? I can't remember if it was a Marriott or what it was. It was in Birmingham, Alabama, where Deontay Wilder's people were trying to beat the shit out of Dominic Brazil and his family. So these two don't like each other. And I think they're going to fight that way. I think that helps Brazil early on. And you might have some moments, but is fundamentally flawed as Wilder is. He has the eraser in the right hand. He punches from insane angles. And if Brazil can see your punches coming, he can take them. He took a lot of punches from Anthony Joshua. He saw all of them coming. From Wilder, they're going to be from all over the place. And I do think that Wilder is eventually going to get a stoppage, a legit stoppage, and drop Brazil in this fight just because his punches come from crazy, crazy angles. I think that's what we're going to see. Uh, Deontay Wilder, TKO, mid to late rounds. Also, uh, Sunday, May 19th, uh, in Japan, Felix Alvarado, a Nicaraguan fighter, going up against Reiya Kanoshi for the IBF Junior Flyway title. Also, there's a card, another one of these Hollywood cards from 360 Promotions at the Avalon in Hollywood featuring undefeated 154-pound prospect Sergei Bachuchuk. So that is it for the preview. Let's get back to some questions here, guys. Let's get back to the chat. Uh, let's see, let's see, let's see. Exiso asks, should J-Rock chase a Charlo fight? It makes great sense to try to beat the other Charlo than avenge his loss. Um, well, look, avenging the loss would mean moving up to 160. That's where Jamal is. He's not doing that anytime soon. It sounds like he's going to be contractually bound to um, to fight the rematch with Hurd. So that's probably what they're going to do next. And then I think the, the logical move would be to fight the winner of Jermel Charlo and his rematch with Tony Harrison, which I think will be Jermel. So you're probably going to end up with a J-Rock Jermel fight eventually anyway. So I think he's going to get his chance to avenge that loss next year probably. Uh, with Jermel. In all things considered, I would favor J-Rock to beat Jermel. And then perhaps it's a move up to 160. DS Kennels asks, who has more credibility, USADA or Dan Raphael? Ouch! Ooh, that hurts. You know what? Raphael has uh, more credibility than USADA. Joe L.O. asks, are Steve, Kim, and Tiffany related? Oh, that is inappropriate, Joe. That's racist. That's an improvement. Okay, it's not racist. It's funny. No, actually, uh, Steve Kim is Korean. Tiffany is Chinese and Vietnamese. Those are different countries. So do the math on that one. <laughs> See, <laughs> Tiffany, by the way, saw that because Tiffany's taking these questions and copying and pasting them here where I can see them. So she saw that. She saw that one. Sian. Uh, what you mean about Anglo-Irish fighters not fighting everyone? Cian, I'm not talking about now. I'm talking about in the United States, Irish-American fighters going back, uh, shit, 100 years. 
They had what they called the color line back then. Irish American fighters dominated boxing. This has been well documented. I'm not hating. I'm not trying to talk shit. There have been many outstanding Irish fighters. Okay. I don't want to start a holy war here, but there were champions here in the US of A, uh, mostly of Irish descent, who kind of drew a color line and wouldn't fight certain guys. Uh, you know, fighters like Sam Langford had a really difficult time getting top fights. Even uh, Jack Johnson, who's heralded as this great, great um, heavyweight, and he, and he was, but he drew the color line and he was a black dude. Once he became champion, there were black fighters like Langford that he wouldn't fight. So there was a color line. In those days, Italian-Americans were not considered white or Caucasian. They were considered a mongrel race. So they were forced to kind of fight on the black cards and fight the black fighters. Now that changed over decades. But during that time where there was this color line with certain fighters, Italians, there was no such thing as a color line for them. They fought everybody. There's a book about this called The Real Rockies, uh, written by Rolando Vitali that I would highly recommend that goes in this, this subject uh, in detail. It is an awesome book that gives a great historical perspective on this stuff as it relates to the old Italian fighters, something that is just not talked about in boxing media today. Uh, you know, you hear about the struggle of black fighters, you hear about the struggle of uh, some Latin American fighters to finally get ahead in, in the world. You don't hear about that struggle and many other struggles, uh, which is a shame. Pedro Thomas asked, will the Hurd versus Williams rematch be made next? Yes, it'll be made next. I think they're going to go immediately into that. Uh, probably won't happen this year, probably early next year. I mean, I would hope it happened this year. I really, really would. Gonzalo and I asked, when will Usyk be back? Probably August, September-ish. That's uh, what I'm hearing. And let's see, the uh, Captain Hook Chronicles from Canada. Appreciate you guys watching. A question not boxing related, but as a writer... What authors influence your style? Well, as far as uh, doing my job here, you know, in the boxing world, uh, two guys that I came up admiring were Doug Fisher and Steve Kim. There are others, uh, but Doug Fisher and Steve Kim, uh, those are the two guys that I remember in my 20s looking up at them. And they're only a few years older than me, but... Um, you know, just, just saying, like, I, I like the way these guys do this, you know. And there have been other people in my career. Mark Butcher at Boxing Monthly, he's been a mentor to me. And Tiffany. Um, there are other people, but certainly those are the two top guys that I look at and I'm like, I want to emulate them. Because it's not just that they're writers, they're personalities. It's what they do uh, on the mic. It's what they do on camera. It's how they score fights, how they analyze a fight. There's a lot of guys out there like, let's say, Dan Raphael and other writers who I would not trust to properly analyze and break down a fight. Doesn't mean I don't get shit wrong. Look, Steve Kim thought uh, he picked Mikey Garcia to beat Errol Spence. We all get shit wrong. We get picks wrong, right? But uh, there are some guys that I really look to and trust. And those are two guys that I always have. Um, let's see here. Gonzalo has another question. Um, it's a question that's been bothering him. If you call it down the middle like you always do and you are critical of promoters and fighters, do some promotional companies flag you and deny you passes? Yes, that happens a lot. And um, it's rather unfortunate. There are certain, look, I talk about the WBC not inviting me to their functions anymore in, uh, in the LA area. 
Um, yeah, they're, they're, that, that happens. And even, you know, like the PBC guys don't love me because I've been critical, but they know who I am. I remember when I, uh, when I was in Dallas for Spence Garcia, uh, I was calling, I called the press people. There's a, you know, a team that, you know, like a project management team that basically handles credentials and everything. And I wanted to get into the stadium to do some preliminary shots and stuff for, for a video for, so I was doing some work with Ring Magazine. You know, Tiffany was shooting stuff. So I called them. I had a contact number to call and see, you know, when are the doors open? When can I get in? Because I know what, this is the day of the weigh-in. And I know what time you're letting fans in and media and stuff, but uh, can I get in before to do X, Y, Z? And so I got passed around to a few people and finally I got to the top dog. It's, it's a female. And, uh, I go, hi, my name is Michael Montero. She, before I could get to the, you know, the second syllable of my name, she goes, I know who you are. <laughs> I knew immediately what that meant. They, they had heard some of my criticisms, but to their credit, they still let me in and they still uh, deal with me. And, you know, um, I think they've lightened up a bit as I've been, brutally honest at times, but they can tell that I'm fair because when they get it right and when they hit a home run, I, I give them full credit and I do that with everybody. But yes, there are certain promoters, look, promoters are gonna go to the people that are you know helping them do their job the most. So if you're being critical, you're not gonna be their favorite person, but some that's my job. You gotta be critical, man. MJB Taco. Ask, I'm pretty sure Tiff has dropped you a couple of times. <laughs> Tiff actually, I've, you know, it's hard to work focus mitts with Tiff. I have to like almost get on my knees, but I've taught her pretty well. She has a nasty little left hook, man. Her right, her straight right isn't as good, but she's got a mean little left hook. I'm telling you guys. And just her little hand has hit me to the body a few times. I'm like, damn, that shit hurts. She, she's mean. She's little, but she's mighty. Dempsey8185 says, what's up, Mike? First time catching you live. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Dempsey. I appreciate that, man. Thanks for tuning in. Frank Williams, why are the light heavyweights, why are they not working towards unification? Well, some of it is, uh, uh, some of it is network issues, but some of it is also mandatory issues. Some of them have mandatories to take care of. I do believe we will get some unification in a light heavyweight division by the end of this year. If Kovalev fights uh, Yard, which that fight still isn't scheduled yet, but when that gets scheduled and they fight, and he, if he wins, and I, I favor him to win, uh, I think him and Baturbiev will fight next. I think we'll get it. Dimitri Bivol is kind of on the outside looking in, but Vozdik and, uh, and Kovalev and Baturbiev, all those guys will fight each other over the next year or so. I do think. Uh, Israel Cannell, thoughts on Pac-Man versus Thurman just being announced. Brother, I talked about that earlier in the show. So um, be sure to check that out. Watch this in the replay. Uh, let's see. Exizo asks, best infighter in boxing today? Interesting question. Man, best infighter. You know what? I know he's... He might not be, but just off the top of my head, J-Rock showed what infighting is all about last Saturday. Uh, right now, he's probably, he might be the best infighter in the sport. That dude out-muscled a much bigger, stronger guy in Jared Hurd on the inside. That is how it's done. 
but I'm trying to think there's got to be it's got to be more but definitely he's up there uh, let's see Joe L.O. Mike when when you and Mike get <laughs> I don't know what that means when you get back to Michigan I'm buying you a beer for my racially insensitive question <laughs> baby Joe L.O. owes you a beer hey Joe L.O. Yeah, he, he apologizes for his inappropriate question, and he says that uh, when we get to Michigan, uh, the beer's on him. Well, oh, she wants a gin and club soda. That's what she likes, gin and club soda. Less calories, less carbs. I'll say this, Joe. I'm going to announce this right now. Uh, I'm turning 40 next month, and we are coming to Michigan for my 40th birthday. I'm going to be in my homeland for my 40th birthday. So I will be up there around June 13th. That's my birthday uh, in Detroit. So... Not around, on. What is it, June, June 13 through... June 12 through 15. Joe L.O. says whatever Tiff wants. <laughs> yeah, we'll be up there uh, June 12 through the 15th. So I'll talk about that uh, more as it's coming because I definitely want to do a meetup or something in Michigan with all my Detroit followers. Um, okay. Johnny Boy asked, does a prime Holmes beat Tyson? Hell yeah. Hell yeah, he does. Let's see here. Maybe do one more and then we get out of here. We've been going for 70 minutes almost. Uh, let's see. Cole Matsuda, what's up, man? He asked, do you think J-Rock's win over Heard is a bigger accomplishment than anything either Charlo has done? Abso-fucking-lutely. It's not even debatable. Yes. It's, it's actually a bigger accomplishment than anything both Charlos have done. Think about it. Absolutely. Um, Eddie Hearn turns 40 around the same time. Wow. He's the same age as me and has a lot more money than me. On that note, <laughs> all right, guys. Uh, yo, thanks for watching, guys. It was another good episode. Another shaky start. But, uh, yo, Team Buck's not here. Scotty's on here. Scotty, yo, you're going to be up there? Okay, dude, we're going to be up there uh, 12th through the 15th. Let's get up. All right, so we're going to be up there uh, in Detroit, and uh, we definitely need to have some drinks. I'm actually going dry, no alcohol, for about four or five weeks before my birthday. I'm trying to dry out a little bit. I've been drinking a lot of beer as I've been renovating the house. So, so far, it's been about a week and a half with no alcohol, and I've lived to tell about it. But by the time I get to Detroit, I'm going to have a few cocktails. <laughs> All right. All right, guys. Look, man. Awesome weekend of fights, right? Um, that that World Boxing Super Series, that, that double header, that's the one to watch live. Everything else you can DVR, all right? I'll see you at the fights.